Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You are listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, and today we have David Flood, uh, who runs Elementary Value. Uh, welcome, David, back to the show. Thanks for having me on again, Eric. Absolutely. Now, I want to talk to you about uh, company KOSS. Mm-hmm. So tell us yeah, a little bit about a, this business. Yeah, this is a company I came across recently. Um, recently, I've been screening for uh, nano caps that are listed on uh, the major exchanges because I look at a lot of the over-the-counter market stocks, but I figured I'd look at some listed ones as well. Um, but I just tend to just look at the smallest companies I can find. And um, KOSS was one that came up. And I'm looking for companies that have certain characteristics. So I'm looking for very tiny companies that have a market cap of, say, $10 million or less, um, a very low float. I don't want too many shares outstanding. And then ideally, I'm looking to buy something where it's selling below book value and also where insiders own a lot of the shares. So KOS was one that came up. Um, it's got a market cap of about $8.3 million. Book is, it, value is, this the about, one, is this the business that makes headphones? Yeah, basically, okay. that's, that's all they do is pretty much make headphones. They, they founded back in 1953, um, and pretty much they've just made headphones for the, their entire kind of uh, business career. And ha- That's all they, they do, been, really. Have they been public all that time? Why, like, why, are, they, why are they public? You know, can you give us a little background about that? Do you know? <laughs> uh, I think they actually, the IPO decades ago, um, I can't remember exactly. The, I think it was sometime in the 70s when they IPO'd. Um, it was a long, a long time ago anyway, certainly okay. decades ago now. Um and they were started by this this gentleman who's that's the company's named after him, uh, Mr. Koss. And he, I think he invented this kind of a portable record player that you could plug headphones into. And that was kind of how he got his start. And then they just started making headphones. And then from there on, that's all they've done. So you can go on their website and uh, and look, and it's got a timeline of basically all the kinds of different headphones they've made through all the, the years. And they haven't really done anything else. That's all they've done. Um, but it was an interesting company to me just because the insiders own about 80% of the shares um, and the floats only 1.42 million shares. So as soon as I saw that, I thought, right, this is really interesting because I like companies where there's a lot of insider ownership because generally their interests are more likely to be aligned with those of shareholders. Not always, but I think it can, well, it can go either ways, right? Because I've seen mm. situations where the insiders own a lot which then prevents an outsider from taking control and they use the company as their bank account. They can do, but then right. the flip side is that they, they can have a real incentive for the company to not go under. Um, right. And the other thing sure. is often with some companies that have struggled along for decades, they've just kept issuing shares to keep the lights on. Whereas mm-hmm. with these companies with the higher insider ownership, you find that they actually still have quite a low share count. Because obviously they've not wanted to dilute their own positions, so it can work both ways. Sure, but it's just something that I've found that works quite well for my style is is when there's um, a high insider ownership with these companies. And have have you at all talked to the management at all? No, I I don't really reach out to management all that often with companies. Okay. To be honest, I tend to just buy based upon the balance sheet and the long range price charts, right. um, and then occasionally I will reach out 
but that's more with companies that are dark where um they're not really giving much information out but companies where they're kind of they're already public um i'm not too bothered about reaching out to management now wh- why is this business um trading so 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 down what what's is there something wrong with the company or what's 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 going on here so it's basically a lot of these very small listed companies they go through periods where they will just lose money for a few years and then everyone kind of gives up on the stock the share price just drifts down um everyone forgets about it and it just kind of gets left for dead or forgotten um and that's the time when i like to buy and then they'll have a good quarter or they'll put out press release saying they've just got a big order in or something else will happen and then the share price will start to move back up again so my approach is always just to try and buy the stock when there's not much happening and the market's kind of forgotten about it um and that's the case with all these companies is they'll they could go for kind of three or four years without making a a profit and then suddenly bam they'll just make a profit one year and then the share price runs up and it can go up kind of you know several hundred percent sure so for a business like this would you sell it like where where would you actually sell it at what kind of valuation um so i would sell it if it basically if it just ran up a couple of hundred percent i'd be inclined to sell unless the, it was running up for some reason so like recently the, the the stock just got pumped up actually on thursday it was sat at around 85 cents a share 80 cents a share and then it ran up to like two dollars fifty i actually missed the the stock spike because it only lasted for a couple of hours and um, by the time i realized it had already kind of started dying back down it was down at like 80 percent up by the time i spotted it so i thought well i'm not selling out at that um but these kind of really small low float stocks you'll find that sometimes they'll just get pumped up for no reason by some kind of stock pumper that's just trying to flip the stock or uh, they may run up just on a press release, or it could be any kind of um, anything that prompts a, a bit of a rally. So I'll just kind of buy them when they're, they're sat in a low range on the price chart. If you can, you can pull up the price charts where you can look back kind of decades, and you can see where the stock sat, and it's kind of sat there doing nothing, just kind of bouncing along on support. And that's the time that I like to buy. But then with a company like Cos, you can look back and you can see these stock spikes. So virtually every year for the last few years, you'll see at some point in the year, it gets one of these huge run-ups. So they they can be for a variety of reasons. But upward movement is upward movement, regardless of what what the cause of it is. It doesn't really matter to to us investors why it's going up. If we could sell into that, that's great. Because often with these these spikes, when the the share price jumps, it will fall back down. So you can just kind of buy back into the stocks. This is something I learned from Dan Shum. Yeah. Um, is he will cycle in and out of these stocks when they have these spikes and they jump up and drop back down, and then you just kind of buy back in, and you can just kind of you can make good money just moving in and out of these stocks quite frequently. How, how do you how do you time this? So like you know you said that thing only lasted a few hours. So like I'm looking as an example, right? And let's say you had purchased, um, let's say you had purchased the stock. I'm, I'm just looking. So, like, I'm going back to 1986, right? Mm-hmm. And so, just walk me through this. So, in 19, in March 27th, 1986, the stock's trading at a dollar fifty. Mm-hmm. We fast forward to 2020, mid, you know, April 2020, while recording this. Mm-hmm. And the stock is actually at one twelve, right? So if you if you just done buy and hold, you would actually be at a loss starting in nineteen eighty six, which is really really bad, right? Um, yes. 
is a terrible investment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So um, clearly the management isn't so great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I look at, say, I'm buy- let's say I'm buying in uh, 2002, right? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of hovering around like $8.30, $9, kind of around that, that range. Mm-hmm. Now I see in 2004, you have this very, very quick spike up to around 1250 mm-hmm. And then it comes right back down. So if you miss that one little spike, mm-hmm. um, the next opportunity was 2006. So you had to wait another two years to get the next yeah. spike. But mm-hmm. now this is, this is what freaks me out a little, right? If I miss that spike, mm-hmm. well, I haven't seen that price since. And that's since 2006. It's now 2020. Yeah. So, so how do you deal with that? So by looking at the long range price, I, I wouldn't be thinking of buying the stock when it was in that kind of range where it's at 10 to $12. I just wouldn't even be interested in buying it. But, I'd be interested but, but why, in buying but why it. Why not it, though? Why, why not? Cause it, cause let's say I'm not looking at that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking say from 2000, if I kind of just hover, put my hands over both sides of the chart, I'm looking say from 2000 to 2000, uh, 2005, Mm-hmm. It kind of looks a little flat right now. It kind of looks the same as 2015 and 2020. Yeah. I mean, that would be, you could you could argue that that is a form of um, a base that's being built, an intermediate base, yeah. where there will be some upward movement. But it's not a very strong base where the stock's in a low range on the price chart. When it's at such a low range as where it is now at $1.12, mm-hmm. it's very, very rarely been this low. But so, what? But what if it say goes to? I'm I'm not trying to be hard on you. I actually think you're a really mm-hmm. smart guy, which is why I have you mm-hmm. on here. But let's say, for instance, we look a few years, and now there's they keep losing some money, and now the new range is forty cents, forty to mm-hmm. fifty cents. Well, now what do you do? It's very unlikely to fall is to it, forty okay. cents just because it's never been in that range before. So often with these these stocks, they will drop down, and then they will kind of hit. Um, a level of support. Now, at the minute, actually, the stock is below its intermediate support level, which you can kind of look back, say, five or 10 years on the stock, and you'll see, actually, it drops down and then it bounces off support, which is around kind of $1.40, $1.50. So I would expect the, the stock will probably, within the next month or two, it'll probably spring back up and maybe bounce around on that level again. So it's actually by looking at the charts and and you, I, I'll look at the five year chart, the ten year chart, the twenty year chart, the full long range chart of the whole. So I, I want to study what's going on with the company. I'll look at the volume. I'll look at where where the resistance levels are, where the support levels are on the stock, and that will give me an idea of where's a good entry point. So with this stock at the minute, I missed the stock spike, but I know there's likely to be another one probably next year, maybe. But equally, if there isn't, I'm happy to hold this stock for five, ten years. It doesn't matter to me because I know at some point the stock's going to be materially higher than a dollar. It's probably going to be somewhere near five dollars, ten dollars, maybe fifteen dollars, right. because I can see the kind of action that's taken place with the stock in the past. And right now, you said it trades below book value. Is that the deal? It does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at businesses, are you you are looking to see a low? low multiples of the business, right? I, I want to see that it's selling ideally below its tangible book value, but equally I want to see that it's in a low range on the price chart. So I, I will never buy just based on the numbers anymore. I okay. used to do that. And um, I think it's best to combine uh, a study of the, the numbers with a study of the price chart. 
No, because I, no, I get, it. I get it. Like you could have like dead money for ten years, and mm-hmm. I mean, is that where you're going with that? Well, it's more that if you study the price charts and you buying a stock that's sat at a support on an absolute low, it's far less likely to fall much further. Right. Um, whereas if you buy a stock that looks cheap based on the numbers and you haven't looked at the price chart, it could be in a downward trend on heavy volume, and then you don't realize, but you're going to get a 50% loss on your investment. Now, you can average down, but sure. I much prefer to put all my money in when it's sat right at the bottom, because then you maximize your upside and minimize your downside. It makes sense. Now, are you also looking at where valuations have been before? So like knowing, for instance, this company has traded above book value before, is that something you take into consideration? No, I don't even bother looking at no, things okay. like that, to be honest. Got I it. just look at the current valuation relative to what the market cap is relative to the, the book value, the assets. Um, and then I'll have a look at the income statement and see what kind of revenue and net income has done in the past, just to make sure it's not a, a business that's you know completely dying and, and right. there's no hope for it. Um, are, you use, are you using other metrics besides book value? Um, well, I'll tend to just dig into it and just see what, what the book value is actually comprised of. So if it's things like intangibles, I'm, I don't really favor those much i prefer to find things like the cash accounts receivable and property uh, hard assets that's what i'm interested in really the main thing with the book value is is to ascertain can the company stay alive until something good happens sure. that's what i'm i'm hoping with all these companies i'll buy a basket of them much like um the net net approach i'm buying a basket of these really small companies and then i'm assuming that some of them are going to do very well some of them will maybe just coast along and not do much and then some of them will probably die but the ones that do very well will make up for the rest right um that, may, so that, that makes sense like so, so what how, how many of these are you do you include typically in a basket um so i'll own anything from 25 to 40 stocks at the minute i think i've got about 26 stocks in the portfolio and has this, I've, has I've, this I've done well for you so far Yes, it's worked out well for me thus far. Um, I've only recently, it's not been that long since I pivoted from uh, a traditional kind of net-net approach to this approach where I'm using the long-range price charts. So it's hard to see whether there's going to be a, a material difference between the the returns from a, a standard kind of net-net approach to this. Um, I've, I've, the whole reason I, I moved to this approach was because of um, finding Dan Shum's uh, blog, No Name Stocks. Right, and, yeah. um that was really profound for me when I found that. I just uh, I realized how important it was to study these price charts. So, well, he, he's in, he's done pretty okay for himself. Yeah, it, that was kind of the reason that I started paying attention to him. I mean, I really like his writing style, and I was looking more and more at smaller companies because I was doing the net net thing, and then I saw how well he was doing, and and I when he explained it to me his approach, it just made. I remember it was just it was kind of like when I read about um, value investing, the idea of um, intrinsic value and margin of safety. When he explained the thing with the the long range price charts, it was the same kind of moment. It just like a light bulb went off in my head. And yeah, in- intuitively, it made perfect sense to me. It makes it, it makes sense to me too. It's something that's been a little harder for me to grasp, though. For you know. Yeah, I think it, as value investors, we it's almost like we're kind of uh, programmed to be. Um, a bit skeptical of uh, the use of price charts or uh, technical yeah. analysis, and we kind of think it's superstitious nonsense. But the more I kind of read about it, I knew that Peter Lynch has used price charts, George Soros has, uh, Druckenmiller, 
there's a lot of good investors that do use price charts um, as part of their analysis. Well, I did I read kind of- that, um, what was that book? It's a few decades old uh, when it goes into the, to like the long range price chart. You know what I'm talking about? The the one by Ted Warren. Yeah, yeah, I did, I did, I did pick that book up. It was, it was yeah. really interesting. That that book was just mind blowing to me. It's probably one of the best investing books I've ever read. It's just incredible. I I would just reread that book all the time. Yeah. All right. Well, David, it was. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, Cos. Is that how you pronounce it, Cos? I think so. Yeah, I think it's Cos Corp. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's there's not much to say really. I mean, my approach is painfully simple these days yep. it's it's literally find the smallest most illiquid companies that I, that I can find and and buy them when the market's given up on them and it looks like nothing's happening and then i'll just wait uh, i'm happy to be patient for as long as it takes yeah all right well david it was a pleasure to have you on and uh we'll definitely have you on again to talk about some more tiny illiquid obscure securities fantastic thanks for having me on eric my pleasure have a good day bye now bye Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So, in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.